0: Well, I'd ask you to find your place, please, this morning in Psalm 22 and also John chapter 19. We will read an Old Testament account of the crucifixion of Christ, and then we'll read from John 19 as we continue our study there. Having studied Jesus' public ministry upon this earth, the three and a half years of ministry we are now considering the violent, bloody sufferings of our Lord that He endured on behalf of sinners. We've now come to the cross where our Lord was crucified, where He laid down His life, a ransom for many, so that we as sinners could be reconciled to God. Look with me, please, in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me, and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them. And cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. Would you please turn to John 19? Let's read verses 16 through 37. John chapter 19, beginning in verse 16, the Bible says, Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier, soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers, break the legs of the first and the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken." and again another scripture say if they shall look on him whom they have pierced may the truth of God's word and what Christ has done for us be pressed upon us by the power of the holy spirit Amen. until we truly understand the magnitude of what our lord did for us in dying in our place as a sacrifice for sinful man Now, I know we all express our emotions differently, and I'm not one to tell you how you ought to respond to this or that. But somewhere when you're alone with God, if you can't read these events and not be stirred, something's off. Either you've hardened your heart to the point where you have yet to believe in the gospel message, and therefore it has no impact on you. Or maybe you're saved and you've grown so cold to it that it has lost the impact that it once had. And I just want to tell you that you should never allow the familiarity of the cross that's right. to rob you of the enormity yes, right. of the cross. Amen. He was nailed upon a cross for us. This is holy ground this morning. And I can almost hear the voice of God sound forth saying, Take off thy shoes, for the ground you're on is holy ground. For those who refuse to think of these words in such a manner, these events, I think of Hebrews 10, 29, that says, Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant an unholy thing wherewith he was sanctified. There is such a sacredness to the events of the cross I feel wholly inadequate to even try to preach those to you. And yet, as children of God, that's why we're left upon this earth. Isn't that right? We are here to proclaim the message of the gospel. We are here to preach the cross. We do so in hopes that lost sinners may come to know Christ as their personal Savior. I, for one, am glad that someone preached the gospel to me. I'm glad my parents loved me enough to share with me the wondrous love of Calvary. I am eternally grateful for the man who preached in June of 1990 while upon Jekyll Island, Georgia, when God saved this old boy. And I knew for the first time what true salvation meant. It wasn't just that I might escape hell, but it was that I might have a relationship with God Almighty. And I've never been the same. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, But we preach Christ crucified. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For I determine not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul, in writing to the Galatians, stated this, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. And so this morning I preached the cross of Christ. And as the Bible says, May it not be with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So not in our text, but... Something I want to bring up is over in Matthew 27, 22, during this time, shortly before this, Pilate, he turns to the crowd. Really, he's turning to the council that delivered Jesus to Pilate. And he asks the question that all mankind must deal with. He asks them, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ. And I want to ask you, what will you do with Jesus who is called Christ? What are you going to do with that? Have you sincerely and honestly dealt with that question in your life? There is no doubt that a man named Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. There is no doubt that he died a sinner's death. There is no doubt that some then believed that he was the Messiah. These are recorded facts, they, they're not to be disputed, it's, it happened historically. And so the question isn't a matter of did these events occur, but the question is what will you do with Jesus who is called Christ? Well we see what they did with Jesus in verse 16. I have routinely stated as we enter chapter 18 that Jesus is in complete control of everything that's taking place. He allowed himself to be arrested. I mean, they fell to the ground. He allowed himself to be bound. He allowed himself to be taken before Annas, Caiaphas, Pilate, Herod, and back to Hilate. He he allowed these things to happen, and he allowed himself to be scourged. He looked at Pilate and said, You would have no power except it were given thee from above. And yet what's amazing is God, who is all-powerful, has given you the power to receive or to reject Him. Don't you buy this idea that you have no say in the matter. We're not hyper-Calvinist. We don't believe that you are destined for hell and you are destined for heaven. But that in God's sovereign will, He gave you a free will to choose what you will do with Jesus who is called the Christ. And in their free will in this hour, we see in verse 16 what they did. Would you look at the wording here? It is Pilate who delivered Jesus unto them to be crucified. You see that? And they took Jesus and led Him away. They'd been confronted about who Christ is. They chose to reject Him. And Jesus willingly was led away. I want you to understand this morning, Jesus is not going to force Himself upon you. He is not going to force you to be saved. And and for those who are saved, He's not going to force you to live right. right. He's not going to force you. But you have to choose to accept Him and His free gift of salvation. And aren't you glad God's merciful in that while many of us rejected Christ after hearing of Him the first time, we had other opportunities to receive Him. And you may have rejected Him in the past this morning, but listen, you're still breathing. There's still a chance. But I would tell you this morning, you have to respond when the Holy Spirit is drawing you to respond. You don't dictate the day of your salvation. But it is when you yield yourself having been led of the Holy Spirit. During this so-called trial leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, we watched as Pilate... He goes back and forth. He goes before the crowd. He goes back into the judgment hall before Jesus. He goes back out before the crowd. He goes back into the judgment hall before Jesus. And we see this take place several times. People are no different today. For a time, they are inside the church. For a time, they're with Jesus. For a time, they bounce back out to the crowd. In for a season, out for a season. I can't make up my mind. You know what the problem is? You have yet to see Jesus for who He is. Because I want to tell you this morning, when you come to know who Christ is and what you ought to do with this man who is called the Christ, you won't be waffling back and forth, but you will drive a stake into the ground and you'll say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because He's worthy. Understand who Christ is. When you do, you'll stop being half-hearted. And I'm telling you that from personal experience. Mm -hmm. I wasn't born with a King James Bible in my hand. Come on now. I know what it's like. Be in for a season, be out for a season. But I know what it's like when God gets a hold of you. And He said, that's enough. You need to make a determination on who I am in your life. What are you going to do with this one called Christ? Christ. You will either receive Him as the only sacrifice for your sin, or you will reject Him. You will lead Him away from you, hoping that perhaps I'll have a more convenient season one day. Now, it's strange, but we understand that what's taking place here had to take place because God was working out salvation. But they led Him away nonetheless. They rejected Him. They led Him away. And we know that the Scripture had to be fulfilled Isaiah 53:7 says of Christ, He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. That's the picture of Christ being crucified. Let's continue in verse 17. It says, And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. Try to picture all this if you can. Jesus has been scourged, he's been mocked, the flogging has left him a bloody mess. For all intents and purposes, he's been left half dead. There's still the crucifixion to go. The Romans would require the one who was being crucified after they were scourged to carry their cross to Golgotha. All crucifixions took place outside of the city. And can you imagine how painful that would have been to bear this cross having no skin left on your shoulders? yet we see that Jesus bore His cross. Now, we learn from the other gospel accounts that Jesus did not carry the cross all the way on His own to Calvary, but only for a period did He carry it all by Himself. It's difficult to say for sure, but it would seem as though Jesus carried His cross alone until He was outside of the city. Matthew says, And as they came out, Mark says they led him out to crucify him. And Luke says, as they led him away. And that likely is letting us know that as he exited the city. Hebrews 13, 11 and 12, contrasting the Old Testament sacrifices with the sacrifice of Christ, says, for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Once outside of the city, there would have been a lot of people present. We read this in one of the accounts, I forget off the top of my head, but there's a multitude of people, there's a crowd of people that now have gathered to see these these events unfold. Some were there to watch out of scorn, some were just cruel. Some were watching because they were concerned. They had a heart for Jesus. Some are watching probably just because they're skeptical. They just want to see what's going to happen. That's why some people come in here. I'm just skeptical. I don't know what what takes place. And you can imagine there would have likely been crowds of people who were lining the path from the city gate to Calvary. The place of the skull. Those words mean the same, they're the same Greek word. So they're used interchangeably. And so as, as Jesus would have been led out of the city to Calvary, there would have been this mass of people there to watch what was taking place. And in those days, it may seem kind of sadistic in our minds, but people would gather in public to watch these hangings and these crucifixions and these, these public executions. Maybe that's why there was less crime. (laughs) Well, at some point, Jesus exits the city, and apparently he's moving too slow for the Roman soldiers because they want him to hurry up. They find somebody to help him bear the cross. They probably are thinking Jesus is about to faint, having been in such a physically weakened state. Perhaps they're thinking that maybe he's about to die. We know that that would not have happened on that road, But in their minds, they may have been thinking that. And so the Bible tells us that they compelled a man named Simon that he would bear the cross. The Bible says in Matthew 27, 32, And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. Rest assured, this is not a move of compassion by the Roman soldiers. This is not we feel sorry for Jesus and we want somebody to help carry this cross. This is we want Jesus on the cross before He dies and because our desire is to get Him nailed to this cross, we need to hurry this up. So don't look at this as somehow they're being compassionate. That's not the case. The Bible says in Proverbs twelve ten that even the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. So they're not trying to alleviate Christ in any way. They're just trying to hasten this process to get Jesus on the cross. It is my personal opinion that Simon was likely a believer of Christ, a follower of Christ. At a minimum, I think he was at least a sympathizer of Christ. I think these soldiers would not have pulled somebody from the crowd who they knew was against Christ. I don't think they would have picked somebody of their thinking. I think they would have picked somebody to share in this. Just my opinion. We learn from Mark's account that Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And those two must have been people of well-known in the first century church because they're mentioned in Mark. And we don't know for sure, but it could be that Simon's son Rufus is the same one that's mentioned in Romans 16, 13. And And to a lesser extent, it's possible that the the Alexander mentioned in Acts 19.33 is this same Simon's son. And and I mention that just to highlight that I believe Simon is chosen because of his association with Jesus. Being called to carry another man's cross was not a position of honor. And if Simon were in fact somehow tied to Christ, this is not something he would have wanted to do, to take place in the death of Christ. And I would think anybody of of a right mind would not have wanted to participate in the death of another. Especially this situation where we know Jesus just went about doing good. Whether they believed if He was the Christ or not. So because this is not a position of honor, because this is not something that people would just choose to partake in, the Bible tells us that the, the soldiers had to compel Simon to bear the cross. In other words, they had to press him into this role. They had to make him do this, if you will. Some believe Jesus ceased to carry any part of the cross at this point, while others believe that Simon would have been helping Jesus to bear the cross. Matthew and Mark tell us Simon bore the cross, while Luke records they laid the cross on Simon that he might bear it after Jesus. So, some believe what that means is Simon bore the cross all by himself as Jesus led the way. Others believe that what that might mean is that Jesus had one part of the cross, Simon had the other part of the cross following after Jesus. So, you would picture a two man carry of the cross. I don't know. Just some theories that are out there. Whatever's the case, Simon's bearing the cross. And I want you to get this Simon bearing the cross of Jesus is a picture of the the disciple of Christ. We are to bear our cross. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's what Simon's doing. Not that that was in his mind at this time, but we see this pictured for us. It's not glamorous. It's not glamorous. I don't care how many Hollywood stars seem to get on board. It's not a glamorous thing. It's almost it's a mystery to the world. It is puzzling. You realize we are so strange in that we have an instrument of execution right behind us. Isn't that something? To me, this blows my mind because we don't... Imagine somebody being killed in an electric chair. We wouldn't have an electric chair up there or somebody being injected. But here we have this cross hanging here. Isn't that amazing? We wear them on our, our neck and our bracelets and our earrings. And, our, and, and it's, it's where somebody was tortured. I, I'm getting off note here, but I don't, I don't know if you understand why they had to break their legs. But in order to hasten death, you would have to raise up to get a breath. They'd break your legs. You couldn't raise up. You couldn't get a breath. you suffocate. And, and here we have this cross. And, and to the world, it, it, looks like, it looks like something decorative. But we understand that's where our Savior died. It was bloody. It was messy. It, it was gnarled. It was It was rough. Wasn't this smooth cross? But it has a wondrous attraction for me. Anyway, Hebrews 13, 13 says, Let us go forth therefore unto Him without the camp, bearing His reproach. Like I said, it's not glamorous. There's reproach involved. Philippians 3, 10 says, That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death. It's not glamorous. It is reproach. It is suffering. And we are called to follow Jesus by taking up our cross. Going without the camp. Bearing His reproach. Being made conformable unto His death. Being made partakers of His suffering. Well, that's when the Christian life all of a sudden isn't so appealing. But it's the crucified life which allows the world to identify the ones who really mean what they say they believe. Because some of you may go out in the world and say, you need Christ, and they look at your life and go, why? You're no different than I am, except you happen to waste your Sundays going to church. Right. Those who profess Christ, but refuse their cross, they're the ones that the world looks at and they have, they have their doubts You're telling me, I'm not seeing anything in your life that says this is true. You say he's all powerful and he did all this and where's the change? And I'd say rightfully so. They have a good argument. By definition, if you are saying one thing but living another way, then you aren't really a disciple of Christ. Because a true disciple is one who is not only a learner, but a disciple is a follower of what they have learned. You may have all the head knowledge up here, but unless you're putting that to action, it looks hypocritical. I wonder why it looks that way. So a disciple is one who adheres to or who lives out what they have learned. We're not talking about sinless perfection. But we know there is a difference between saying we believe something and actually living that out. Therefore, the one who is carrying his cross in the likeness of Christ's suffering to others, there's no doubt to their surrender to Christ. There's no guessing whether or not they are a disciple of Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20 that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul said, it's no longer me that's living. I died. It is Christ who is living in me. So what is so significant about identifying with Christ in the death of the cross? Well, it means that you are no longer living for yourself. Jesus was not going to die for His own self. He's on His way to die for others. Why? Because He knew it was the Father's will. I want you to get this quote. A.W. Tozer said, You knew one thing about a man that was carrying a cross out of the city. You knew he wasn't coming back. Did you get that? When a man's carrying a cross out of the city, that's it. His life's over. And so when you have taken up your cross, it means you're not coming back. In other words, look, it's no longer about you. And it means you have learned to die to self. And you have surrendered all that you are into the hands of God. You die to your plans, to your dreams, to your ambitions. And you now allow God to have full control of your life. You know what Jesus told His disciples after He said, Take up your cross and follow Me. He said, Whosoever will lose his life for My sake shall find it. And then He asked this question. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world? Lose his own soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, there's no way you can buy salvation. It's only purchased by the blood of Christ. And so no matter how much you gain in this world, it doesn't gain you favor with God. And if you could gain the whole world, it would never equal what you gain when you're in Christ. Unlike Simon, we are not compelled to bear our cross because of the pressures of the outside world. But we are compelled in a different sense. And actually what happens to the child of God who learns to bear their cross is they become constrained. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that He died for all. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. Paul said, I'm not living for myself now. I'm living for the one who died for me. And when we bear Christ's cross, we get a greater sense of the love that Christ has for us. And it is the awareness of this enormous love of the cross that Jesus would die for us, that we come to this place where we can't do anything but live for Him. And and you reach a point where you say, I must Give my life to Christ. I must live for Him. Amen. And you become a, a a fellowship of His sufferings. You become conformable unto His death. Paul wrote this after he mentioned, make me conformable unto His death. He wrote this, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, that I may apprehend that which... Also, I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to apprehend it, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And as we think about that statement, what we find is selling out for God and taking up our cross and following Him does not mean that we have arrived, that we think we're somebody. It's not a prideful thing. Paul says, not as though I had already attained. Say, saying, look, I I know I haven't arrived. I know I haven't attained perfection. I know I haven't attained the highest level that a person... I understand all that. Nor does it mean we're going to be sinless. Paul says of himself there, either were I already perfect. He says, look, I know I haven't attained and I know I'm not perfect. Amen. "I, I know I haven't arrived and I know that I'm not perfect. But if there's one thing I'm going to do in this life is being made conformable to the death of Christ and taking up my cross and dying in the likeness of his sufferings, I'm going to forget those things that are behind me and I'm going to press towards those things that are before me for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Do you understand? It's not about you reaching this point where all of a sudden you feel worthy about everything. And all of a sudden you've got all this victory all over the place. And all of a sudden you never have any more problems or you never struggle with sin and you never have temptation. Paul said, Look, I haven't attained. I'm not perfect. But if there's one thing I'm gonna do, I'm gonna keep pressing on. And so many people get hung up with this idea, well, God can't use me. Constrains us. We die to self. We live unto Christ. And when you get to this point, in in reality, when you get to this point, it's more humbling. You know, it's not this prideful thing. There's a humbleness that comes. But when you get to this point, you become apprehended and you have to live for Him. So sell out for God. Forget those things that are behind you. There are so many things that young people think are important. And I'm not knocking that. It's just that you reach a point in your life where you realize, big deal. Yeah. Yep. So what? I, I got my commission, and I became an officer. Is that really going to impress the Lord when I stand before him? Yep. Well, Lord, you know I gave twenty-one years of my life to the military. I mean. <laughs> no, you realize as you get older, none of none of those things matter. That's right. That's right. But it matters what I've done for the Lord. Amen. Amen. So Paul wanted to apprehend the one who had apprehended him. He's running after Christ. He might catch on to Christ. And, and this process, this picture, this, this manifestation of somebody doing this, it shows that you have become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you've taken up your cross, and it means that you will die to your will. First Peter 4, verses 1 and 2 says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Listen now. That he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Peter's saying, look, there, there ought to come a point in your life where it's no longer about you and what you can get out of life, but it's that I want my life to be right in the will of God. Amen. Have you given your life over to the will of God? If you're not saved, the will of God is for you to be saved. Amen. If you are saved, have you given yourself over to the will of God for your life? Or are you still living this life to see what you can get out of it by pursuing all the worldly lusts? lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And Peter says if we're going to die to self, then we have to arm ourselves. If we're going to have the will of God, we've got to have the same mind of Christ who suffered for us. And what did Christ do? He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And we have to have that mind in us. We must become obedient unto the death of self. But I want to tell you, you have to willingly give yourself to it. You have to symbolically pick up the instrument of death that you are to die upon and carry it to Calvary. And there, you have to give yourself over to the will of God, which is for you to die daily. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul wrote? But once you get there, you can't drive in the last nail. Oh, you can do a lot in your flesh. You can nail your feet and you can nail one hand. But somebody else has got to take the hammer and nail the other one. And you have to give yourself to God. And say, here am I, Lord. You take my life and you finish what I cannot do. Take all of my life and make me conformable unto your death that I might know Christ and the power of His resurrection. And Jesus taught this is the only way you'll be fruitful as a Christian. Jesus said in John 12, 24, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So if you're going to bear much fruit for God, then you must learn to die to self. And you've got to go down into the tomb with Jesus. And there be resurrected to where your life is now hid with Christ in God. You're no longer your own because you've reached a point in your life where you realize, I've been bought with a price. I've been bought with the precious blood of Christ, and I'm not my own. I belong to Him. Have you been compelled to take up your cross? Have you learned to die to self? Would you rather have God's will in your life than anything? It's your decision to make. Are you truly a disciple of Christ today? Not do you believe in Christ. There's a difference. But are you a disciple of Christ? Are you following Him, obeying His Word and His will for your life? And can others see that difference in your life? Would you pray with me?